Friends, there is something even more powerful and beautiful that gives us reasons to rejoice today, even than Mother's Day. It's great to be in, to have a day to celebrate mothers. Praise God for our mothers. But I just want to be clear, there's something even more powerful, there's something even more greater than Mother's Day. And that is the grace of God. I just want to make sure that we, in, in our worship this morning, as much as we want to be thankful and appreciate mothers, we don't miss out on the reality that the reality is that something greater than even our human birth is the fact that God has shown us His grace. And this morning, the song we have just sung, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, uh, Grace That Will Pardon and Cleanse Within. Well, friends, this song fits so well on the verse that we have uh, finished preaching last Sunday. And I want to get us there in a moment. Um, and then the text that we're going, going to continue to preach today. But before we get to our book, just want to uh, make sure one of the things that we as a society love is stories of renewal, stories of transformation. When my wife and I and family go on, a, on, on vacation, and one of the things we enjoy doing is actually watch a particular TV show. We don't have a TV in the home, so there's, we don't watch TV in the home, but when we go on vacation, there's a particular TV show that just draws us in, and we forget about the vacation, and we, we, we zoom into it, um, and it's, uh, it's a fixer-upper. Don't ask me why, but I'm just drawn to seeing these projects that are in total shambles, uh, homes that need a, a, really, a really major change. And uh, it's beautiful to see how bad they are and how beautiful they become after the transformation. There's something amazing about the human heart that loves to see renewal, transformation. It may happen to a house. It may happen to a neighborhood. It may happen to a city. It may happen to a people. Well, this morning, the story that we're about to read, the, the truth that we're about to read, is in some way a story of corruption, punishment, but the renewal. So let's open God's Word this morning to Isaiah chapter 1. Our passage will be from verse 21 to 31. But I will read for context's sake uh, from verse 18. And, and I'm going to start there uh, to, to give you a sense of why we sang the previous song, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, Grace That Is Able to Cleanse From Within. And then move on to our passage this morning. Here's the word of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 1. I'll be reading from verse 18. If you don't have your Bibles, you're uh, encouraged to find the Bibles provided in the chairs in, the, in, the, in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 566. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to, for you to grab the pew Bibles and take it home. We'd love for you to have it and read it, and uh, hopefully it will be beneficial for your spiritual life. Here's God's word for us this morning. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient... You shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless. And the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore declares the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lie and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired. And you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers. And like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tinder. And his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts. Would you join me in prayer asking the Lord to bless the proclamation of his word for our hearts this morning? Father, in these moments, we declare that we need you. We need your spirit. We need your presence. As we open your word, would you open our hearts for the sake of Christ? Amen. Amen. For those of you who are visiting us this morning, we have begun last week a sermon series, a new sermon series through the book of Isaiah. It's our practice here to take longer sections of Scripture, entire books as well. And, uh, and here we are taking the longest book of the Bible um, and working our way through it. And uh, we, are, we just started last week, looked at the first section, the first 20 verses of this book. And I want to, as a way of reviewing, I want to uh, show what the Lord has done in the first few verses of this book and then move on to this passage that we read today. The Lord began this book by exposing the rebellion of His people as a rebellion of children against their parents. The Lord also revealed the consequences of their rebellion. The Lord confronted some useless solutions to their rebellion, specifically the fact that they continue to be very religious. And the Lord confronted them and said, you can't use religion to cover up your rebellion. People continue to try to do that even today. Well, let me try to do some religious things. And I'm happy to do that as long as I don't have to give up my rebellion. The Lord confronts their useless use of religion in order to cover their rebellion. And then finally the Lord offered 
a true way out of rebellion. And we saw that in verse 18 that we read this morning. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. The Lord offers a true way out of rebellion. Well, this morning our story continues by showing, going back to how deep their corruption and the rebellion has been. And friends, we will see this in the book of Isaiah. It'll go back and forth. It'll go between threat, punishment, and also hope and God's solution. This morning, our passage begins back to how it, the book started, back to corruption. How deeply God's people have become corrupted. Then showing how God responds to their corruption and what God aims to do. Three points this morning. As if you like taking notes, here's the first one. God laments our corruption. God laments our corruption. Look at verse 21. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. Friends, in this passage, we see a picture of God's people identified by two images. The image of a city and the image of a woman. Both images refer to the same reality, the people of God. This combination of, of referring to the same reality as through the picture of a, of a city and a woman will show up again in the book of, of, in, at the end of the book of Revelation. God presents His people through this imagery of, of a city and a beautiful bride, a, a radiant bride, a glorious bride. But in Isaiah, at least in Isaiah 1, they started off with this picture of a faithful city. But this faithful city has become a prostitute. Last week I mentioned how one of the prophets that served alongside with Isaiah was Amos. Well, this morning I want to tell you about another prophet that worked alongside Isaiah at the same time as Isaiah. Actually, he, he served at the exact four administrations as Isaiah. It's Hosea. If you open to the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1, we read that he started serving during the same four kings, thus King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. Exactly the same length as Isaiah. And Hosea describes Israel's spiritual state as spiritual prostitution. Isaiah brings the same picture here. Israel has lost its purity. They have forsaken their faithfulness to God, their husband. Friends, it's amazing, but our relationship to God is often described in the Bible through this picture of a marriage covenant. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is prepared to be a spotless bride of Christ. No wrinkles, ladies. No wrinkles. No imperfection. The people of God are being prepared to be formed into this beautiful, radiant, glorious bride. But here in Isaiah, the people of God have become a prostitute. When we comp compromise in our spiritual relationship to God, when we turn away from the Lord, it's as if we are playing the harlot. This is how discussing our sin is before God. Notice the tone of lament though. In this description. This is not just a description. This is a lament. Notice how it starts with the word how. There's a few places in the Bible 
where descriptions begin with this how. And it communicates a stone of lament, of sadness, of sorrow, of pain. What makes this lament even more painful is that Israel didn't used to be this way. Look again at verse 21. She starts off as a faithful city. She starts off with righteousness lodging in her. But now, murderers. Friends, if I can bring a, 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 common, a, a common day uh, illustration, it's, it's, it's as if you have a neighborhood that is just an, an, a great neighborhood to live in. Everybody runs to live in that neighborhood. But something happens. Something happens, and now that neighborhood is full of crime, murderers, unsafe to live in. The only picture here is it's worse than just a good neighborhood turning into a bad neighborhood. This is heartbreaking because now it's not just about physical cities, it's about people. And that's why the imagery changes from a city to a harlot. This is heartbreaking. If we don't feel the brokenness of this picture, the lament over the corruption of God's people, we miss the power of this picture. The spiritual neighborhood has gone bad, as one pastor said, because unfaithfulness to God destroys the bonds that hold people together. Now murderers lodge in her. In verse 22, we see more pictures of their spiritual unfaithfulness. Two more pictures your silver has become a dross. Do you know what a dross is? Is when, when, when precious metals like silver are mixed so badly with other corrupted materials and are so badly mixed up that they can no longer be purified. And the silver loses its power or its value or its worth. In other words, what you have become is worthless and useless. Your silver is worthless and useless. Your, the next picture is a picture of a wine. And this one is about a best wine being mixed with water. To mix water with wine compromises the wine. And especially to mix the best wine with water is to ruin the wine. And when you do that, you ruin the whole wine. It's not like the bottom still stays best while the top is just mixed up. The whole thing is ruined. The point of these two pictures is that the people of God have become corrupt and it affects everything about them. There's not one inch that is not affected by their corruption. Everything about them has become compromised. Now it's amazing that God describes the corruption of His people through this, these images of of a city becoming a prostitute, silver becoming dross, and the best wine becoming ruined. I love how Motir, Alec Motir comments on this. When sin enters in departing from the Lord, it destroys the nature it enters and leaves no part untamed. Another commentator said, sin promotes to spice up our lives, but it, it dilutes everything. Oh, friends, recognize that the, the lure of sin, the lure of sin is to promise us much, but to leave us in the end utterly empty. God must confront us with a real picture of what we have become. These pictures are, are bad pictures. These pictures are sad pictures. 
These pictures are painful pictures. But such disclosure must be given if we are to receive the medicine that can truly heal our hearts. The effects of Israel's corruption is seen in the lives of its leaders. Verse 23, Isaiah indicts the leaders. Your princes have become rebels and companions of thieves. In other words, rebellion has infected even the leadership of of society. The leaders of God's people have become corrupted. And corrupt leadership promotes corrupt lives. We see this clearly in verse 23. Everyone loves a bribe, runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and and the widow's cause does not come to them. In other words, the whole people began to reflect the leaders that they had and followed them in their corruption. Loving bribes, running after gifts, are just some of the signs of their corrupted hearts and their rebellion. They have, li- they have failed to live out the justice of God. They have failed to extend justice to those around them. And friends, that's not all. As we make our way through the book of Isaiah, we will see more and more details of their corruption. But bottom line here is, friends, God laments their corruption. God laments the loss of purity, the loss of faithfulness. Now, we all like the, you know, those before and after pictures? Typically, the before is bad and after is really good. Here, it's the other way around. Here, the before is what God had made them. And the after is what they have become. God laments our corruption. Second point is, God not only laments our corruption, the second point is, God punishes corruption. Look at verse 24 and 25. In contrast with the human kings and rulers who have joined the band of rebels and thieves, verse 24 presents us the image of another ruler. Isaiah turns our direction to God. Isaiah presents God as the Lord of hosts. Do you know what that means? The Lord of hosts? The Lord of armies. The mighty one of Israel. Yes, the earthly rulers of Israel have rebelled. But now the ultimate ruler is about to declare a verdict. And his people need to hear a word from the ultimate ruler who is over them. Interestingly, in this picture, God is presented as a ruler of armies. A ruler who is powerful and mighty. These images present God ready for war. Notice he says in verse 24, Therefore the Lord declares the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah! I will get vengeance. I I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. Now I want you to put yourself in Israel's shoes. Israel is starting to feel the threat of surrounding nations threatening the people of Israel. And at first hearing this picture of God as the, the, the Lord of hosts, the ruler of armies, planning to avenge against his enemies, This is good news for Israel. Oh, we got the Lord on our side against our enemies. Only to realize God is not talking about the enemies of Assyria. The ones against whom God will avenge are not the pagan nations, but his own people. 
Look at verse 25. I will turn my hand against you. It's as if Israel has become the enemy of God. It's as if the one against whom the Lord must avenge is the very people whom he has brought out. Friends, being on the receiving side of someone's avenging is never pleasant. How much more unpleasant it is to be on the receiving end of God's vengeance. And he declares to turn his hand against his own people. The people of Judah must hear that the threat of the nations against them is actually the threat and the hand of God against his own people. Now there's some among us this morning who have such a sentimental view of God that they cannot, and you might not be able to imagine a God who would act against his people. Friends, this text shows us that the God of the Bible can act against his people. When his people turn away from the Lord and despise him and rebel against him. But even in this shocking message of God's punishment against Israel's corruption, there is a glimmer of hope. Actually, there's a lot of hope. Look at the rest of verse 25. I will turn my hand against you. What else will I do? And I will smelt away your dross as with lie and remove all your alloy. In other words, God will punish his people, but the purpose of the punishment is not to annihilate them, but to purify them. God says, I will smelt away your dross as with lie. The picture here is one of cleansing. God knows what we need for our cleansing and purification. As a, as a commentator pointed out, normally you can't remove dross from an object. The removing of the dross is equivalent to changing the nature of an object, transforming it back to what it used to be before it became a dross. This is what pro God promises to do. To take away the dross. Naturally, it's not possible. And yet God will do it. Friends, God's punishment toward His people aims to restore and to transform. We should throw away any notion that if God loves me, He will let me be myself. He won't. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says that He is transforming us into the image of His Son. Day by day. One day, we will be that spotless, glorious bride. God will never let you be who you once used to be. God will never let you be yourself, if you will, in, in your sinful, self-centered self. God says, I am bringing my hand against you and I'm going to remove the, the dross away. I'm going to renew you. Oh, friends, this is the point, the third point that we see here. Why, why, is there, why is there punishment? There's punishment because God wants to transform. This is not just an Old Testament truth. This is a New Testament truth as well. Hebrews 12, 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Why? So there would be a, a, a harvest of righteousness in our lives. God punishes corruption. 
God punishes rebellion even in the lives of His children. And this truth is valid from, from both testaments. Yet God's purpose in punishing us is to purify our corruption. Friend, I wonder, how do you respond to the truth that God often punishes sin? God is also is often ready to punish you. It's never pleasant. It's never fun. But here's the hope. He does it for the purpose of renewing us. And this is the third point of the sermon. God promises renewal. Verses 27 and 20, uh, 26 and 27. When God's punishment will be executed, notice what God will do. He will restore to them what they have corrupted. He will restore them out of the corruption that they have gotten themselves into. He says in verse 26, I will restore your judges as at first and your counselors as at the beginning. Remember, God accused their leaders that they have become corrupted. God says, I will restore your leaders. Now, God promises to restore those who declare to them the word of God, those who give them counsel. Notice what else will be restored. Look at verse 26. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. This is where they used to be. In verse 21, God will bring them back. God will renew his people. Oh, friends, the entire book of Isaiah could be summarized in, in, in these verses between these pictures. The faithful city has become a prostitute, yet God will punish and will restore and will renew so that the prostitute will be a faithful city again. That's the whole story of Isaiah. And by the way, just so we know, we see the same truth. God is so determined to restore his city. Move, turn to Isaiah 62, towards the end of the book. Isaiah 62, verse 1. God says, here's how deliberate God is about restoring his city. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. In other words, God is committed to make his people righteous again. And this promise we get at the very beginning of Isaiah. Judgment will come, nation of Israel. Judgment will come, but so will restoration. The promise is that the prostitute will become faithful again. We may have been drawn to lament with God and with Isaiah how a faithful city has become so unfaithful. But the rest of Isaiah tells us how the unfaithful woman will become the faithful city. This restoration, however, will not bypass judgment. God will restore through judgment. God will renew through chastisement. The transformation that God is going to give them is clearly given in verse 27. Verse 27 is like the key. How will God affect this change? How is it that the unfaithful woman will become a faithful city again? Is that possible? Is it possible that a prostitute will become a faithful woman again? 
The gospel says, yes, this is what God will do. How? Look at verse 27. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. Here's how God will make this this fixer-upper turn into a glorious dwelling by redeeming. By redeeming. And notice that the redemption will be by justice. In other words, justice will not be suspended when God will redeem His people. God redeems not by removing the punishment. No, dear friends. God redeems His people by justly executing the punishment. The ultimate punishment that God executed was not on merely removing Israel from the land and taking them into exile. He did that, but that was not the ultimate punishment. Their punishment was way bigger than the exile was able to cover. When people came back from the exile, they were still sinners. Their sin was still not atoned for. Yes, there was an immediate punishment, physically speaking, to them as a nation, but the punishment that God was going to bring was way bigger than the exile itself. We have to make our way to the book of Isaiah to recognize that God redeems His people by executing judgment, and He did it by placing His judgment on the servant that He sent for His people. Isaiah 53, verse 5, The servant of the Lord who was crushed for our iniquities, and upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Friends, God's renewal and God's redemption always happens by executing judgment. The difference is that in the grace of God, God chooses to act that justice and judgment not upon us and against us, but against His own Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, this is what makes the story of redemption so powerful, so grabbing in. Redemption happens through justice. God executes justice to redeem His people. And He executed His justice not on His people, but on His beloved Son. So that those who had been rebels, those who had been the the rebellious children, those who had been prostituting themselves, those may be renewed and made right and made righteous and faithful and may be glorious. Oh, dear friends, this is the redemption that God promises to give. This is the renewal that He commits to execute. But this renewal, this redemption, has a second part to it. Notice that God's redemption is for those who repent. God's renewal is for those who repent. Notice verse 27 again. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. In other words, God's plan to renew and redeem is going to affect all those and only those who repent. Without repentance, there's no renewal. Without repentance, there's no benefit of redemption. Oh, dear friend, I wonder this morning, have you repented? of your corruption and rebellion against God? You may not feel 
your, repent, your, your corruption. You may feel like you're fine. And you may need to hear that in your sin, you are like Israel, a rebellious, corrupt child, an unfaithful spouse towards God. Dear friend, recognize that this rebellion, this corruption, makes every one of us, any of us, liable to the judgment of God unless we repent. Not everyone will be beneficiary of this great redemption that God had promised. Only those who turn away from their sinful ways and run to God, asking God to forgive them, asking God to save them. My dear friend, if you have never repented of your sin, I encourage you today, right now, even as you're hearing these words, don't wait for the service to be over before you turn to God in prayer, in your own heart, asking God to forgive you, to save you. As great as this news is, sadly, verses 28 and 31 tells us that some people will ignore God's promise to redeem, to restore, to renew. Some people will hear this news and continue in their tracks of rebellion against God. So in the rest of the verses in our passage, God warns those who are inclined to continue in their own tracks of rebellion. Notice two things that God says to those who might consider staying in their rebellion. God says rebels will be ashamed of what they have sought after. Rebels will be ashamed of what they have sought after. Look at verse 29. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. The oaks and the gardens here could be pictures either of their idolatry or they could be pictures of their own human strength. Of, of taking confidence in the, the picture of an oak here being the, one of the strongest, the, the, the mightiest of, of, of trees. People would, would naturally gravitate to that which they can put their confidence in, humanly speaking. And the picture here is such human strength will fail and will bring us to feel shame and be ashamed. I remember the story of Martin Lloyd-Jones, how the Lord changed him to become a minister of the gospel. He was uh, enrolled and accepted to, to be a student at the most prestigi prestigious medical school in London. Uh, and he, was, he enrolled there to be trained to be a medical doctor. He was actually recruited by a physician to work for him in his practice for the physician who was actually leading or working and overseeing the royal family, the, 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 the British family. So here's Martin Lloyd-Jones really having his life set up for a great career. The greatest school, medically speaking, in, in, in Britain at the time. The greatest practice that he was involved in. And yet, Lloyd-Jones, seeing some of his colleagues, noticed one particular student who was the brightest of all. Everyone knew that this particular student really had it. He was the top of the class. And one day encounters him in utter despair and hopelessness. And Lloyd-Jones looked at the hopelessness of this student who was the top of the class of the best program in the nation. And he says, if he still has a despair and a hopelessness that this career can solve for him, then there's something else I must seek. 
God used that experience to lead Martin Lloyd-Jones to renounce his career to be trained as a medical doctor and to give it up and enroll in preaching the gospel. And he wrote in his journal that the day when he gave up his practice or his training for medical school, he wrote in his journal, he felt like God gave him a promotion. Friends, here's the bottom line. When we put our confidence in human strength, when we put our confidence in what this creation can give us sooner or later, the oaks which we have desired will leave us ashamed. I don't know what are the oaks that you desire. They're different things for each and every one of us. But sooner or later, they will leave us ashamed. But worse than simply leaving us ashamed is that rebels eventually will be consumed. This is a bigger deal. They will become like a dry oak ready to be burnt up. This warning is given twice in our, in our passage, verse 28. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. And if that was not enough as a warning, the warning is repeated again in verse 30. For you shall be like an oak whose leaves withers, and like a garden without water. The strong shall become tender, his works a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Friends, this warning of the destruction of the rebels is the last word God has in the book of Isaiah. Turn to me to the very last chapter, chapter 30, uh, 66, verse 24. And they shall go out, God says, and they will look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Friends, these verses of warning to those who consider remaining in their rebellious stage are here to awaken us to hear the message that they must make up their minds regarding this news. Will they remain in rebellion? Will you remain in rebellion? Or will you repent? The text we have before us presents us not simply the, the downgrade spiral of a faithful city who has become a, a corrupted, faithless city, or corrupted, faithless wife. The emphasis of our text is how God will respond to the corruption of the city. He will respond with punishment. But for some, the punishment will be a refining punishment. For some, the punishment will refine them. For others, the punishment will destroy them. And the destruction will never be quenched out. How can men and women who have become corrupted in their nature and deeds how can they be made righteous and faithful again? This is a story that Isaiah will unpack for the next 65 chapters. But I want to leave you with this word of hope that David Jackman, one of the pastors in, in Britain, said, Only Yahweh can change the harlot into a faithful city.
This is what we're invited to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not leave us to be enslaved by our corruption forever. We praise you that in your mercy and grace, you expose our corruption, you punish justly corruption, all corruption, but you also use your punishment to offer redemption, renewal, transformation. Almighty God, we pray that you would do so today through the preaching of your word to our hearts. Father, thank you that you are a God who is able and has committed yourself to see the unfaithful people become a radiant bride, a radiant city, a faithful and righteous dwelling. Father, make us to be so for the glory of your name.